If you'd like to join me in Revelation, uh, over in the book of Revelation, I'd like to turn to chapter 4, and I'll join you there in a minute. Uh, I've noticed something lately about a change in our world, and it's this. Have you just noticed how the conversations the last six or eight months have changed? The conversations, it's just, I don't know, it seems like uh, the topics of yesterday was the price of gas and maybe where you're going to eat and where you're going to take vacations and, you know, if you're going to buy a car or on and on, those typical I guess used to just be normal conversation topics, but today it's so strange. There's this word called v- virtual, and and you might surprise some of you, but I actually know what that means. Thank you. Uh, it's it's just not virtual classes and and Zoom and go to meeting. I've been on all those, believe it or not. Thank you. Uh, what's amazing is the Bible prophecy is everywhere. It's just a discussion. And questions galore by the hundreds and thousands about what's going to happen. I see all the streets and the ugliness, and I see all the things that are happening in our world, not just in our world, but all over this globe, but especially in our nation. This much I will tell you, this is a day of anxiety. But I want to say to believers, God's eternal word, it is our solace, it is our strength, it is our comfort, it is our encouragement, it is our stay. And I want to just talk as practically as I can this morning. If I, I used to have what I call fireside talks with my wife and my sons and uh, just sit around and have some things that I feel like we need to discuss. I know it's not winter time. Maybe we turn the air conditioner down. You'd feel a little chilly. I want you to come to a fireside talk this morning. Okay? Just want to speak to you from my heart. I want to talk to you about something I think is important. I'm going to talk to you about the seven spirits of God. The seven spirits of God. Um, I want to take us to an awesome scene. It's in the scripture. It is about God's throne. I won't read all these descriptions. You can follow it up and you can read it. But go with me to Revelation 4. Let's just pick out verse 5. talks about in the previous, the rainbow of the emerald about the throne. God's spirit there and all those 24 and elders and all that. Arrive at verse 5 with me, chapter 4. And from the throne proceeded light, lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I want to talk about those seven spirits of God. In my Bible, it's just across the page. But chapter 5, verse 6, follows up. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out to all the earth. If you'd like to turn a page back to the left, I'd like to go back to chapter 1 of Revelation. Look at verse 4. It 
John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Notice what he says. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and what? Is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Father, I just pray your word would become precious to us. Lord, there's been so much persecution in years in other countries. How privileged we are to have a copy of your word and just be able, Lord, to read it. May these words, Lord, become life to us in this day and time. I pray it for the glory of our Christ. Let everybody say amen. When you read these verses and in other places, there has not been a vision that will equal this vision. John saw it. If you want to go some 800 years prior to that, so did Isaiah. He saw it. Both of them had, it had major effects upon their lives. Their, their descriptions are, as we would say today, breathtaking. Try to picture this in your mind, a throne set up where lightnings and thunders come out of it. And there's an emerald rainbow about the throne. It is set in the heavenlies, and one sitting on it, and from him who is God himself, emanating light. And before the throne, a stunning sea of glass that shines like crystal, and on and on. Above it are flying massive seraphims. They cry, holy, holy, holy. Read about them in other portions. Four faces upon them and what they represent. They cry out, holy, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And around, as far as you can see, is redeemed saints, like a huge encampment from every nation, every civilization, every language, every epoch of time. And that crowd with the seraphim and with the angels and with all the creatures that are there, they give praise to God. It is a musical Niagara. They sing, you, O Lord, are worthy. How many of you know in your heart what that means? How many of you really know that he is worthy? Wow. But John saw something else. He saw a mystery And I want to point to it. John saw seven spirits before the throne like lamps of fire. And three times we read it, John brought attention to it. And and it it makes me wonder. I have question about these seven spirits of God because when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he flatly says in Ephesians 4 and 4, there is one spirit. One spirit. And here are seven spirits before the throne of God. My mind says, is there a contradiction? Can I tell you flatly, as Paul spoke, there's not a contradiction at all. Let me be clear, there is only one Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity. The third member of the Godhead, if you will. This Holy Spirit... This spirit is Christ's gift to the church. How many of you are part of the body of Christ? Don't forget the church isn't a building, it's us. And he talks about it. The spirit is a gift to you and you and you and me when we're in the genuine family of God. What a gift it is. This Holy Spirit was present way back at the creation. 
This Holy Spirit resides, ladies and gentlemen, inside the heart, the spirit of all believers. He teaches us and leads us and He helps us. I'll say more about that later. But there is only one Spirit. Well, then what about John's vision? Again, I want to say there's no contradiction. It's rather a marvelous revelation of expressions. Let me put it in my simple language. Seven main ways that the Holy Spirit ministers to you and to me. Ministers and imparts godliness, the things of God, into our lives into the life of believers. How many in this room this morning are not ashamed to lift your hand and say, Pastor, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I want to talk about what God's Spirit does for us. Quickly, seven ways He imparts godliness. Number one, He is the Spirit of grace. We hear a lot about this. Let me just cover these things pretty quickly. When He's, talk, when he's called the Spirit of grace, it is this marvelous unearned, unmerited, divine assistance to the twice-born men and women and young people of God. He performed for us through the Christ and gives us our redemption. He presents to us our sanctification. This is a, a word that's important. It means set aside strictly for the use and the worship of God. As we read in the Old Testament tabernacle, the utensils that were dedicated, sanctified utensils. He does that to us. Our lives and how we live them are no longer for ourselves. But we live, ladies and gentlemen, not in our will, but this spirit of grace puts us in the center of God's will and He directs what we are to live like. He gave us these abilities. Hebrew 10 says, this spirit of grace is God's agent presenting heaven's treasures as gifts to men. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, only the Holy Spirit can bring a person to God. Except you be drawn and wooed and, and affected, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, you cannot approach God. Only the Holy Spirit can convict the heart and the soul. Only the Holy Spirit can quicken. And I love that word. It, it puts this, this quickening inside of you that says, this is true. This is light and this is dark and it gives you a perspective from a, a spirit level. And this, this only the Spirit can enlighten. And only the Spirit of God can stimulate an urgency that leads you and me when we know we've wronged God, when we know we're in sin. Only that urgency of the Spirit can lead us to repentance. Because, because he's about living for God. When you live for self, all that happens is self rules. But when you live for God, this urgency to be right with the Lord will bring you to a place. God, I am smitten by my sin. I know I have a sin debt and I'm led to repentance. Ladies and gentlemen, that's brokenness before God. When we feel that that urgency, that tugging in our hearts, when we sense that, I love the word woo, 
wooing because to me. It's the Spirit of God having patience with me. It's, it's, it's trying to say through my stubborn will and my mind that wants to reason before I let my heart go, which may be good, but this Spirit is patient with me. And He draws me and He woos me and He says, Come on, come on, come on. And when I finally surrender, then the light of the world and the gospel comes on. It is not the evangelist, sir. It is not the preacher. It's the Spirit that woos you to God. It's the Holy Spirit saying, You, sir, you, pastor, you, young man, young woman, you have a rendezvous with the Creator. Time and again, He has moved us to God. I love the word moved. Time and again, He has given us divine assistance. He is called the Spirit of Grace. How many of you are glad He never gives up on you? Secondly, He's the Spirit of life. I love to read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I realize it's at the very beginning, but listen to this. It describes something that's important. Wish I had time to tell you that I believe God created a beautiful earth. I believe that when Satan sinned, he was cast to the earth. And I believe it was flooded and may have laid there for a long time. I believe the Spirit of God moved and came and recreated the seven days. That's just my concept. You can think differently and I know there's theologians that disagree. But listen to this description, Genesis 1. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face, don't miss this word, of the deep. Peter talked about their world that then was being covered in darkness and water. Another day. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, here's this word, moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. I want to tell you, God's light always dispels the darkness of sin. Can you imagine this dark earth swirling and turning in its darkness because Satan had wrecked it and he always wrecks everything. He always destroys everything because he's trying to always get back at God. There was light and the face of God moved upon it and it changed everything. It fits in with Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and the King James Version says this. It takes it from the earth scene and places it upon us. And it says, And you have He quickened who were dead in your trespasses. And in the New King James Version, if we read it, it said, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin." Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit and every part of God in this world is not death. It is not judgment. It is all about life. He stood and said, let there be. And you and I came into being. He created the fish and the bird and the sea. All of it for life. Jesus even said, I am the life. The Holy Spirit makes Christ come alive in your being. The Holy Spirit does what Christ would do if He were still here on earth. He takes God's Word from a printed page and places it inside the human heart and life comes out of that. I read years ago the testimony of an astronaut, Colonel Jim Irwin. Perhaps you remember. Hope you've studied in history. He was on the moon. 
Imagine. Today we may not think much about that, but I remember when as a boy the race to the moon with us in Russia. How many of you even remember when we got with Russia and we, we actually had our spaceship in space fit their spaceship and they both flew together? How many remember that? I guess we're past 30. I actually went to the Smithsonian years later to see that. It's quite a sight. Jim Irwin, an astronaut on the moon, he was so thrilled with that experience. His, his testimony was he stopped and thought. While standing on the moon, his thought was, this must be the greatest miracle in human history, man walking on the moon. And he said he stopped. And he said suddenly the Lord spoke to his heart. And he said these words. And he said, no, no. The greatest miracle in human history is God walking on the earth and living in you. (laughs) He's the spirit of life. And I'm glad I'm personally acquainted with him. Spirit of adoption, number three. Romans 8, 15. We receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This is the establishment of the former children of Satan, of whom we all were. It established us by adoption into the family of God as eternal and legal heirs of the entire kingdom of creation. No longer ensnared, no longer distressed, no longer depressed, no longer feeling feelings of guilt and condemnation, the Holy Spirit gives us through all these snares of the fowler, I like to say. He works with us and helps us until we are they are all removed. And we can now approach the throne of God, Paul said, with boldness. At the Father's house, not just an austere God, but at our spiritual heavenly Father's house. There we are considered heirs, joint heirs with Christ. We are welcomed and we are wanted beyond measure because of the price He paid for our lives. But I want you to note something. This Abba Father, I said it one time a long time ago, and I had a person get a little angry with me. And I remembered it. I said, I, I took, we had a guest here from Russia years ago. Most of you know Anush. And she gave a testimony about Abba Father. And she cried out, Daddy God. That's what this means. We can cry, Daddy God. What it's in reference to is a very personal relationship, not with just the austere Father of creation, not just with the austere majestic God of all rulership and reigning, the sovereign, but He, because we're in the family, is our heavenly Dad. And I said that to this person, and they said, I, He is not our Daddy that disgraces Him. Can I tell you that it means we encounter majesty without fear? And I'm going to tell you, when the world comes against you and there's absolutely hardly, you feel like there's absolutely no place to go at all. 
None whatsoever. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, it's a great thing when I can go and say, Daddy, God, who is majestic, but because I've been adopted into the family, He says, Son, what is it you need? I'm your shepherd and you will not want. The spirit of adoption, number four, it's the spirit of holiness. Romans 1 and 4, said, Paul said, it's a spirit of holiness. When Isaiah used the same word in the Hebrew that Paul used in the Greek, he called it a spirit of judgment. When we, you and I, feel the burning of a conscience inside of us, whether we're 10 years old or 100 years old, We feel that burning conscience. We know we fail the Lord. When we hear the voice of conviction, and we sense an urgency that I need to go before the Lord, and when He won't let you alone with that, when He comes with that, listen, that's the spirit of holiness doing His work to the word I used while ago was wooing you to the Father. Let me tell you this about this spirit of of holiness. He will arrest your heart. He will bring brokenness to your spirit. He will bring a purging when you have transgressed. Let me say emphatically, don't cast that aside. Don't run from that. When you feel that inside of you, that is God's urging you. He is lovingly striving with your soul and your spirit. He is spurning us toward keeping an absolute right relationship with God. Boy, I remember as a teenage boy. I'll never forget. I I was on the wheat harvest. I was 16. And my dad had the idea that uh, I thought I was pretty grown up at 16. I mean, my, when I got my driver's license, I thought I had a license to rule the world. Ah, pastor, that's silly, man. When you're 16, it's not too silly. But my dad put me on a combine and sent me north or south or west to West Texas and then up into Oklahoma and Kansas and over to Colorado and up through Wyoming and South Dakota and back up over to Montana to do the wheat harvest. I'd never been away from home more than two or three days, maybe, except for youth camp. And my dad said, it's time for you to grow up. Wow. I want to tell you, I was in a world that I didn't know anything about. And lonely and just frankly homesick as I could be. How many of you know what it feels like to be really homesick? Wow, there's something about that. And I had a little then, I know this dates me like I'm 400 years old, but I saved my money and bought a little transistor radio. How many of you remember a transistor radio? How many of you never heard of a transistor radio? Come on. You're the same kind of people that I want to send after a left-handed monkey wrench. (laughs) I mentioned it Wednesday night. (laughs) I'm just having fun with you. 
A transistor radio was marvelous because it ran on batteries and you could, you could, you didn't have to be in the car or the house. You could carry a transistor radio with you and put in that little earplug and you could have, you know, the music and all that with you. Boy, I got one of them and at night, especially at night, KOMA used to be the biggest station in, in Oklahoma and it would actually change its, its transmission. And at night, come 6 p.m., I could hear KOMA, Oklahoma City, in radio in Montana. And I thought I was in tall cotton, as my grandma, grandpa would say. I'd listen to that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'd get homesick. Okay, the big, tough 16-year-old that should rule the world cried a few times. I was homesick. Amazing. I was homesick. I don't have any idea where I am right now. homesick I just want to tell you that I knew what it was to be lonely I knew what it was to be around an entirely different atmosphere that I'd never known before and it was very uncomfortable to me and when I was frankly surrounded by a lot of sin and things that I was taught against and all of a sudden I saw it wholesale before me I remember where I am. I've got it now. I remember when I was 16 one time and I was tempted and I was being belittled because I wouldn't participate in all that stuff. I remember getting up on a side of a mountain. And I did what I was taught. I built me a cross there. Just leaned up a couple of posts and kneeled at the cross. And I rededicated my life to God on the side of that hill. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so glad for the Spirit of God who has adopted me. Let me move on. A spirit of truth. In John chapter 16, 13, let me read to you. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. I want every teenager, every young person to listen to me. This world is bent on trying to sell you a truth that is not. You are living in a generation, as all of us in this room are, where it has come to pass, Christ prophesied it many, many, many years ago, that they will call evil good and good evil, and that is here today. But our God is truth. He is absolute truth, Mr. Professor, that denies it. When you are dead and gone, God's going to be truth. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. We need this Spirit of truth in our hearts today. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He bears, hears, He will speak, and He will tell you the things to come. How many of you want to know the future? 
Stay in this book. Read its author. It is the spirit of truth that wrote it. Jesus took great care to tell his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit to be our instructor, not just of things, but of truth. This book is the truth. This book is not allegory. It's not some ancient imagination of somebody on drugs. This is the authoritative Word of God. I want to tell you something. There are people who many, many centuries ago, especially in so-called learned scholars that knew theology from Hebrew to the Aramaic and the, and, and the Greek and all those things, I've read about them. They tried to say that all the stories, at least up to the first so many books in the Scripture, are just allegory, they're just stories. I, I have news for you. They have since then proven there was a Noahic flood. It actually happened. Got news for you, there was an ark. It is on Mount Ararat. I believe that with all my heart. You know why? Because this book says it. I believe that it is literal. Amen. I believe there's a literal God. How about you? The spirit of truth. What is truth? Can I sum it all for you? In one word, truth is Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals the Christ because the Christ is truth. He never draws away from Jesus. He never condemns. This Spirit that tells us about Christ always edifies us and builds us up. He will tell us about the Christ, the anointed one of God, the Christ, the Word of God that came to this earth in the flesh, the incarnate Son Himself. He will tell us about Jesus, the Lamb. He is the Lamb, the sacrifice who became the Savior. Eternal truth declared through the Spirit of truth. Ladies and gentlemen, I declare to you in 2020 what he was, what he said, what he did, what he was, he was, what he is, he is, what he does, he will. And let me tell you, he will always be the truth. The truth. Young people, don't you let a generation, and I'm going to use a pretty tough word, but it's true. Don't you let a generation who are literally hell-bent tell you something other than this word. So I must move on. There's a spirit of supplication. Zechariah chapter 12, 10 says, I will pour upon you. I love that word, pour upon. The spirit of supplications. Kanal in the, in the Hebrew. It means to bend in kindness and tenderness to help an inferior. The word supplication here means to grant favor. I love, one of the things I like to read is J.B. Phillips. I just want to say the spirit of supplications is a tremendous contribution to us to pray. 
Romans 8, when Paul wrote it, J.B. Phillips is a translation. It's paraphrased in paragraphs that I like. Listen to what it says. This is Romans 8, 25 and 6. The Spirit also helps us in our present limitations. For example, we do not know how to pray worthily. But His Spirit within us is actually praying for us in those agonizing longings which cannot find words. Who knows the heart's secrets, understands the Spirit's intention, and He prays according to God's will for those of us who love Him. That is a powerful word, ladies and gentlemen. Folks, when the Holy Spirit comes to enable us to pray, He will put into language the deepest yearnings and feelings of the human heart and communicate them to God. He is the God of supply. The Spirit of supplications. And lastly, the Spirit of glory. The seven Spirit. The last one is the Spirit of glory. It's so easily done today. Let me declare to you, it's easy done, but never let us, never let us allow a minor and even a major tribulation of life distract us from our eternal goal. Don't you let fear, don't you let question, don't you let the, 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 the... drumbeat of this world. Don't let anything that smacks of this earth and anything temporal, do not let it distract you from your eternal goal. 1 Peter 4 and 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory rests upon you. I, I just, I am so humbled To think that the spirit of the glorious God would set upon the likes of me. All week long, I'm just going to tell you, I've been, all week long, I've just been, I've been beat up by the devil. This is just my personal thing. I didn't say this to anybody. I've just been beat up all week. How many, I heard a lady say something in the phone and she said, I try to take a day at a time, but sometimes several days attack me at once. (laughs) Have you ever tried to live for God and it just seems like you can't, no matter what, the, the world beats up on you? I love this little story. I read it the other day. It, it, matter of fact, it'll, it'll, it'll say something about me because it's true. I, I read where a four-year-old boy by his mom was asked to say grace at the meal. So they all bowed their heads and he was praying. And he said, he blessed all of his friends, blessed all of his family members. He started blessing the food. Thank you, Lord, for the potatoes. Thank you for the chicken. Thank you for the green beans. Thank you for the salad. And then he stopped and a long pause and he opened one eye and looked at mom and he said, Won't God know if I bless the broccoli I'm telling a lie? Spirit of glory. Don't let, don't let this world distract you. The spirit of glory, ladies and gentlemen, will hover on you to keep your priorities right. Generation 2020, let me say, the Holy Spirit brings a peace and it brings a confidence 
so that you and I can face life without fear, so we can agree with the songwriter of old, and I love it, it is well with my soul. All week long, you don't measure up, Brooks. I've been watching myself on YouTube. I don't like that. I make gestures I, I, I didn't realize. I, I look at myself and I think, you're, you, you're not a good public speaker. You're, you're, you're no good. No wonder you don't run 2,000 in church. The Satan's always doing that sort of But ladies and gentlemen, I didn't realize all that was happening. I'm trying to be a lot more cool. But Satan will always tell you, you don't measure up. But I want to tell you something. Finally came, when I wrote that word I just said to you, I finally agree with the songwriter. You know what, Satan? I don't measure up to you. I never will, to be honest with you. I got to the point I don't care because I don't want to measure up to you. It is well with my soul. And I thought, Lord, if you would actually, even if I'm rebuffed, and I always want to be approachable, preacher, you'd be better off if you did this or that. Listen, nobody's right about everything. And we should realize that some people try to help us and critique us and don't be so touchy and full of selfish and wear your heart on your sleeve. Listen, somebody might love you enough to try to say, don't make double-handed gestures when you preach. (laughs) Nobody said that. Did you notice I went from two to one? I hope you understand what I'm saying. I finally got this point. I want to tell you, devil, it's well with my soul. And if God will set His glory on me, then I'm not going to listen to you. The Holy Spirit does all these things and more. Watch this. Be patient with me. Seven spirits, I gave you the major ways. But the, spirit, the Scripture finds Him wooing the hearts of mankind, inciting to good, illuminating, sanctifying, regenerating, quickening, enlightening, convicting, comforting, drawing us, working faith in us, uniting us to Christ indwelling us, teaching us, guiding us, cleansing us, assuring us, witnessing to us, sealing us, interceding for us, transforming us, preserving us, conforming us, endowing us, baptizing us. And someone says, do you need Him? Do you need Him? Do I ever need Him? My prayer this morning, and I'm through, for the body of Christ and Christ's legacy and those on the internet, let us place as priority again in our lives God's Holy Spirit and pray this prayer. Lord, let Your Spirit lead me and I will follow because that is how we're going to be ready for the return.